You're listening to the Alchemy of Self podcast with Romza. The world is currently in a state of rebirth. All of the systems we have inherited are collapsing and failing us as a species. It's time for us to come together and create something out of nothing. If you crave deeper purpose, unshakable strength, and a life aligned with your truth, this is for you. This is for you if you are curious and not afraid to ask questions. This podcast is for those searching for their purpose and those ready to step into their full potential. For lovers of truth and those ready for masculine medicine, this podcast is an adventure that gives voice to a journey of healing, discovery, and embodiment. We'll challenge the old narratives we inherited and forge a new path. Join us in this fearless exploration of the multiple dimensions of being human, breathwork, mindset, healing the body, detox, and how to use the gentle way of jujitsu to make you unstoppable in your wellness, business, life, relationships, and more. Hello, guys and gals. Welcome to Our Deepest Fear with me, Romza. And today I'm here with a really special buddy of mine. He does some incredible stuff out in the world. I'm going to tell you a little about it. And then me and him are just going to jump in and have this incredible conversation. So his name is Tyler Schwab. Did I pronounce that correctly? Schwab? Yeah, dude. You totally did. I love it. Tyler has spent the last eight years working anti-human trafficking all over the world in over 20 countries in the areas of Central and South America, the Caribbean, South Africa, and parts of Europe. He coordinates the aftercare services for survivors, including returning them back to their families or coordinating safe housing and educational resources for them. He's an expert in quality aftercare services and has testified in the highest offices in Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and Uruguay. Schwab has been featured on numerous media outlets such as ABC4 News, Good for Utah, Wyoming Signatures, Star Valley Independent, YO4 News, Casper Star Tribute, Huntsman Business from Utah State University, the Utah Special Victims Unit Conference, the Disruptor Podcast, and El Tribuno Salta Argentina. In 2013, Tyler founded Gifts of Grace. It's a nonprofit dedicated to the prevention and restoration of survivors of human trafficking in Latin America. Tyler is fluent in Spanish, super fluent in Spanish, actually. Wow. Tyler graduated from Utah State University, University of Wyoming, and BYU-Idaho with degrees in Spanish and healthcare administration. He was voted Student Entrepreneur of the Year in 2016 at BYU-Idaho. Wow. He's currently pursuing a degree in human trafficking from Vanguard University. He's worked with NGOs such as Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Tim Tebow Foundation, and the Idaho Falls Rescue Mission. He enjoys fitness. Yes, he does. He's built like a gorilla. <laughs> Hiking, photography, binging, and writing in his free time. Welcome. Welcome, Tyler Schwab. Thanks, my man. You are officially my first guest ever on this show. Dude, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you mentioned my binging, too. That is uh, probably the most important thing about me is the fact that I like to binge. When you say you binge, what do you mean? I love TV, man. I love Netflix. I love Prime. It's just, yeah, I love, I love to binge TV shows, man. I love to get engrossed in a good story, and and um, yeah, it's just such a relaxing experience for me to just sit back and 
like escape into somebody else's world. And so, yeah, I appreciate you mentioning. I love to binge. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, wow. I mean, bro, that was an incredible way of describing you, bro. Um, you're awesome. There's so many things in that description that I didn't even know about you. Tell me about winning entrepreneur of the year. <laughs> That's a funny story, man. I, uh, well, in college, I studied, um, I was kind of in between. I founded that nonprofit, but I wasn't getting paid by that nonprofit. And so the funding just wasn't there to get paid. I didn't know how to fundraise. I didn't know how to ask for money because there is, there's like an art to it, you know? And like with, with my current organization, OUR, like we have some experts that are good at asking for money and that's how you get things funded. And I just wasn't good at it. So any donation that we got went straight to the survivors we worked with um, in in Latin America. And so... I was in college and I really wasn't sure what to study. I knew what my passion was, which was, you know, like uh, social entrepreneurship, social justice, um, Latin America as a whole, anti-human trafficking. But I didn't really know what to study. So I studied um, healthcare administration. And I wasn't passionate about it at all, but I was in a like just a course full of people that were just passionate about healthcare and insurance and and I just, it just, it was just hard for me. It was hard to me to to connect with with that with my passion. But that's why I got my degree, and I just kept on working it until I was a senior. Um, I was a senior, and then I was almost done. And by that point, you know, you can't really go back and do something else because you're a senior. You're getting ready to graduate. And so, I, yeah, I, I hooked up with this professor, and um, he was encouraging me to get my MBA. And he he he, he was talking to me about like what. I was doing and what my goals were. So I told him a little bit about how I, um, about how I, how I ran this nonprofit and he was, he was super into it. He was like, Oh, that's awesome. Like, how'd you get started? Who was your lawyer? How'd you, how do you raise money? Um, what's your, what, what are your analytics like? Like, what are your, what is, how do you measure success? And I was answering all these questions in, in, in the way that I knew how, and he was just like, he was just super into it. And he, at the very end of the conversation, he was like, I'd like to nominate you for entrepreneur of the year for our university. I just started to laugh. I was like, dude, no, come on, fam. Like, no, like you, I don't make any money. Like I ask for money. People give me money. My only income is like, Hey, will you give me 20 bucks? Yeah, I'll give you 20 bucks. Okay. That's my, like that's 20 bucks. I got, it's not, I didn't consider it like a, like an, uh, like an, like a, like an entrepreneurship project. Um, but he was like, no, like, this is like, it's very uncommon. Like we need to, like, we need to, we need to, we need to nominate you. I'm going to nominate you. Is that okay? And, and I was like, that's fine. But like, you know, I, I went to school, um, you know, there's a lot of people that were very passionate about business. And I was like, you can nominate me if you want, but like, there's some, let's just some creative people out there. They're really doing some cool things at a young age in building business. And he was like, okay. So he submitted it. Um, and then a couple of months later, I got this email that was like, you You've, you're in the top three. Um, it was me and this, um, this, there's two other people. Uh, I don't remember the, the one of them, but the other one was a, was a guy a lot like myself. He was a so social entrepreneur and he, um, he had this really cool business based out of Kenya where he would have ties. Um, the, the people in Kenya would build ties and they would send him his ties and he would sell them here in the United States, then he would send the money back to Kenya and, and continue to have, a, have an income for them. And so it was me and him. And I honestly, I, I hope that he would win because he, like, he was actually like, he, he was making, like he was paying himself too. And he was making some good money, but 
you know, the committee, you know, saw our, saw our organizations and they decided to go with me and, and, um, and so yeah, it's, and it's still, I don't quite understand like how that happened. Cause I never, in, until that moment, I really never considered myself like an entrepreneur. Um, I just kind of saw a need that I wanted to help fill and I tried to help fill it. Um, but yeah, that's how, that's how I won that award back in uh, 2016. Wow. That's an incredible story. Are you open to um, hearing a different interpretation of it? Like what I heard? Yeah, I do. Please. Um, they chose you because you solve a bigger problem than uh, Thai guy. Like you solve a bigger problem. And the reality is an entrepreneur isn't somebody who makes the most amount of money. And I, like this is actually like near and dear to my heart mm. because an entrepreneur is a human being that solves a problem. That's literally all an entrepreneur is. And like, sometimes they get paid really well for it nowadays, you know? Um, but usually they used to just get paid really well, but mostly after they die. Hmm. But like, we've shortened that thing. And now it's like, of course, you're the entrepreneur of the year. You, you solved a bigger problem than Thai guy. So you win, even though you weren't getting paid, you are already solving a bigger problem. So it was just a matter of time and you learned how to ask for what you want. Hmm. I never thought about it that way, man. I mean, yeah, I think I really just need to change my perspective, man. I mean, you just, the way you just described it is, because I remember I can tell you the exact day I recognized like this problem, man, is when I was in the Dominican Republic and I'd heard about like this human trafficking, human suffering, slavery of like children and so I'm like, I'm, I'm in this, you know, this little spot in the Dominican Republic and I'm asking this, this 14 year old girl, if I can, if I can buy her a meal to try to figure out like why she's in this place. I mean, this place, you know, this, this club, this, 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 this discoteca, this, this brothel is no place for, you know, a 14 year old girl. And so I remember when I was, I was talking to her and she was, I was ter- like, she was, she was terrified um, when she was talking to me, like just. Like she was visibly terrified. So I, you know, I spoke to her. I was like, hey, I'm not here to have sex with you. I'm not here to do anything like sexual with you. I just want to hear your story. I want to figure out how you ended up in a place like this. And like, when I said that I wasn't there to have sex with her, you, you, you would have, you would have thought I just told her she just won like a hundred grand. Like the relief that like flood over her face of just like, Oh my gosh. She was like, I thought you're going to be my first client. Like I've been here for three days and my client, uh, my, my, I was told about a job here. I came, um, they, they, they told me that they knew where my family lived and I didn't have sex with these clients that they were going to, they were going to kill my family. And so she's like, I thought you were going to be my first, like three days ago, I thought I was going to have my first, but the guy wanted to have anal sex and she's 14 years old, very innocent, comes from a very rural area of the Dominican Republic. She was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And so her traffickers made her watch pornography for three days straight of just anal sex pornography so that when a client would ask for that, she would know what to do and what, and what to expect. And that was like one of the moments that hit me hardest of just like, like you think about just like how, like how life takes you to these moments of like that time that I won entrepreneur of the year at this school in Idaho and how like this venture got started. It was, it was, you know, three or four years earlier in this, just this dark, dark place in the Caribbean with this girl who was, who was being trafficked in this way and, and seeing that and hearing that story, you just, you just, you're just moved to do something, you know, you're just like, this cannot fly. Like this cannot, this cannot happen without some kind of force pushing back against it. And 
And so it's interesting to like see how those two moments connected of when I won that award and when like that enterprise got started, when that social venture really uh, began to, to become into fruition and start to take roots and, and become a reality. How many, um, for the organization that you work for now, um, how many people have you guys rescued in total? The current amount um, as of last week was 4,100 people, 4,100 um, women, children, uh, and boys that we've rescued from human trafficking. And how long has this organization been open? Uh, since 2013. It got started in December 2013. So in the last seven years... If if I understand entrepreneurship right, probably the last three realistically, like as it picked up momentum, right? Because that's how entrepreneurship works. For sure. Like you got to you got to get the word out, and that shit takes time, right? Yeah. So the last three years, the majority of those forty one hundred women, children were rescued. Yes. Yeah. More or less. Okay. I'm just trying to understand, and I like if I'm hearing and seeing it as to see if my, I guess my feelings are correct. Right. So that's a fucking crazy story. First of all, second of all, trafficking is hot right now, right? Like with the elections and all that stuff going on, a lot of that stuff is coming to the surface right now and people are starting to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Like just, we've seen here at like operation Underground railroad, we've seen such an intake in or an uptick in awareness and support, which is, which is so just amazing. Like when this whole, like this whole Wayfair thing started, like, I'm, I'm not sure, honestly, like the, can you, can you tell, like, there's a lot of people that don't know what the Wayfair thing is. Can you just give like a brief description of what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. The Wayfair thing, it was this conspiracy that came out uh, maybe like a month ago or something. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know a ton about it, but it's, it's about the, 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 the furniture company Wayfair, who was, uh, there was a conspiracy going around because they were selling cabinets that were named after missing kids. And there was some rumors going around that these cabinets, they were crazy overpriced and that they were actually selling kids inside the cabinets and, um, so, and, you know, it's th- that conspiracy theory, um, it really brought a lot of attention to the issue, which I'm very grateful for of people that were like, like, what the heck? Like, what is this human trafficking? What is, what is going on? It's led to some further research. It's led to people like finding us and what we're about, which is a huge benefit to me of, of people that the uptick in awareness, the uptick in support. Um, because honestly, like m- of the kids that I work with right now, my current caseload, they weren't trafficked by a politician or by a furniture company or any, they were, they were trafficked by their father, by their mother, by their boyfriend. Um, There's, there's a little girl I work with right now in Central America, uh, which I I know is a place very close to your heart, Rome. Um, She was actually trafficked by her brother. She, she's, she's nine years old. She just turned 10. We just threw a massive birthday party involving just a, a crap ton of unicorns and, it was awesome, but she but she was trafficked by her brother and his high school friend. So his brother, her brother is eighteen years old. His, his friends on the soccer team, and he was trafficking her to his to his soccer team. Um, and that that's a situation that I unfortunately hear quite often. It's not these big time politicians that are trafficking. It's not these these huge companies. It's it's close family members. It's it's boyfriends. It's girlfriends. It's 
and stuff like that. And um, so this in this uptick in awareness, this uptick in support has been a great opportunity for us to to you know, receive more donations. Be, can you continue to look to expand our work because you know we want to continue to expand and and rescue more kids that are enslaved in, around the world. And it's also been a great opportunity to educate on what human trafficking uh, looks like um, day in and day out. Yeah. Wow. I read somewhere that a lot of the the slave traders used to be African. So because it was safe, they would they would be the people getting in. So it makes sense that these children's mothers, fathers, uncles, brothers, the people that are safe and supposed to be protecting them are the ones that are trafficking them because there's already trust there. Yeah. And yeah, and it's it's like it's so hard. Um like we, we had this case that I worked um, in the Caribbean where it was this mother. She had uh, her two daughters. Um, her two daughters at the time were ages seven and five. And she she was trafficking her daughters from the comfort of, a, of her own home. She had this Facebook group with a bunch of pedophiles from Pittsburgh. And she would live stream the abuse of these two kids. And she would take requests that the pedophiles would send in. So the, the, there are two girls there, seven and five. And the, the pedophiles would say, I want the seven-year-old to do said sex act to the five-year-old. Um, and when the seven-year-old would do that, the mother would get paid via Bitcoin. And so those girls, like we, we, we helped the, this government with some investigative tools. We helped them with some um, software to be able to help them to track down where this IP address was coming from. And then remove those two girls from that home. And uh, even now, like with, with the amount of abuse that happened to those two girls, like there's there's still feelings like they still they still miss their mother. Like they still miss they miss being with her. They miss her. Like there's another case right now in Central America where the mother actually um, is affiliated with the uh, the MS-13 gang. Mm-hmm. And she when her daughter was rescued. Um, she put a hit out on her daughter's head of like, I want, I want to have this, this, my daughter's head on my table. And even after that, like this girl still won't testify against her mother because she's like, in her words, she's like, she's, she's my mom. Like she's like, I, I can't do that to her. Um, despite everything that she did to me. And so it, it's a great, like, I, I share those two stories just to share, like with, when it comes to like education as a whole of, of it's, it's very like, you know, I don't know if Bill Clinton or or whoever is involved in, in human trafficking by can tell you that the majority of the cases, at least probably 95% are involved in, uh, are someone who's very, very close to very close to that person, whether it be mother, father, boyfriend, brother, very rarely does a situation like taken happen where someone is physically kidnapped. That does happen. Like it, it does happen. But when, when someone is a, a missing kid, I mean, the world stops, like the world stops to look for that kid. If the kid is lured away or tricked away or leaves, quote unquote, under their own free will after being groomed or, or tricked, then then there's less of there's less dust that's kicked up. And that's what traffickers want. They thrive in the dark. They thrive when people don't know what's going on. And so this this whole Wayfair thing, it's a great opportunity to educate the world on what that looks like and hopefully shine a bright light on this crime so that we can hopefully one day eradicate this this awful uh, crime against humanity. Fuck. All right. So this was the question that I had for you. It was one of my first questions that I had when we met, because like in Costa Rica, the reason why um, Lola got in touch with you guys in the first place was because we had so much 
activity there, like trafficking activity. And I was just, is this for real? Like, is this really happening? It's almost like unreal. It's, it's, it was like almost unreal. Like there'd be people like somebody tried to attempt to kidnap, like some kids or lure away some kids. Like that shit was happening there locally. And people were talking about it. My friend, he came to visit, uh, he came to live there for a few months and they tried to lure his kids into a car. Yeah, it was crazy. It was fucking crazy because I was just like, is this really happening live? Right. You know what I'm saying? It was like almost like a movie. So when you came, I was like, all right, what is trafficking? What does it look like? What are the different types of trafficking? Because when we say trafficking, like a lot of people might think of only one type and that's it. From what I understand, there's lots of different types of trafficking. Uh, what are what are some of the ones that you've been exposed to? Dude, man, that brings back some uh, good memories, man. That was a fun trip being with you in Costa Rica, and dude, those, you guys at the Hero Academy, man, those are the those are the realest people I think I've ever met, like on this earth. Like they are such good people. Um, that was yeah, that was a good trip. Yeah, there's lots of different types, um, and I think I'm glad you asked this question too because like it's important that that people know the different types because um, there was a recent case of a girl who. She was being trafficked when she was 16. Her name is Cynthia Brown. And she um, she killed one of the people that was raping her. And then she was charged for murder and, and put in jail and just recently released after this big campaign came out of like, hey, she was defending herself. She was a she was a victim. She was being exploited. And she was finally released from prison. But she didn't see herself as a victim of trafficking because there's a there's a there's some miseducation that happens of like you're just a victim of trafficking if you're put in a box and shipped from the United States to Russia or something. Um, yeah, and like, that, like a TV, like a movie. Yeah, like a movie. Um, which you know that that does happen. Like that does happen where um, they, they they call it human smuggling, and, and there is some human smuggling that goes on um, all over the world. But you can be a victim of trafficking and never leave your own home. Like if um, like we we were we were talking with a woman yesterday who does a lot of education and awareness in in Rwanda. And she was talking about a case of um, a little girl that came up to her around 11 or 12 years old that says that she had to have sex with her uncle so that her uncle could would continue to pay the rent for her and her mother. Like that's trafficking. There's the there's the there's the aspect of force, fraud and coercion. If any of those three are involved in the crime, like it's it's trafficking. What, what were the three? Can you can you say them? Yeah. Again? Force. Someone is, is a force to, to participate in, in whatever type of servitude. It could be sex slavery. It could be labor trafficking. Fraud, um, which a lot of the girls that I met in Dominican Republic, for example, were victims of fraud. They thought they were going to a private school or thought they were going to take a waiter job, a waitressing job, and ended up being um, forced into commercial sex acts in a brothel. They were um, There was the fraud. They were tricked. And there's the, the coercion. They were coerced into um, being um, into the situation. And there's, there's a couple different, um, types of trafficking. There's obviously there's the, there's sex trafficking where you're forced to have sex for money. Um, there's also labor trafficking where and the majority of modern day slaves in 2020 are victims of labor trafficking where they perform, um, hard labor and they are not paid for their service. Uh, how many percent? Um, it, it more than half, I'd probably say probably 65%. Mm-hmm. If I, that, that you've been exposed to, right? Oh, that I've been exposed to. No, the, the cases that, <clears throat> excuse me, 
that I've been exposed to have been mostly sex trafficking, just because that's that's kind of my niche. Um, is I would say the the my caseload currently is probably ninety nine percent sex trafficking, but a lot of those involve other crimes as well, like sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Um, um, there's some aspects of uh, organ harvesting as well um, that we're actually getting into quite a bit in Cambodia. Um, we support a great NGO in in Cambodia, who's our partners, who work a lot of those crimes of of organ harvesting. Um, can you can you explain what organ harvesting is? Because it sounds very like buttoned up. Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't even sound bad the way that you said it. Like organ harvesting. It sounds like they're <laughs> they're farmers. Uh, I know, like yeah. there's farmers in Cambodia, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's terrible. And yeah, I think I'm glad you, you called me out on that because uh, you know I think when you're working in this field so long, you just you got to put a little more emphasis on those words of like organ harvesting, which make it sound awful because it is it's um, organ harvesting. I'll put an example of like, um, let's say um, a 40 year old man here needs a new kidney and he's on a, he's on the waiting list for um, a new kidney for, you know, two year waiting list or something. What he'll do is he will, um, you know, he can go on the dark web or go on the internet and find someone who's willing to sell him an organ of an unwilling donor. And so that's this organ trafficker essentially will find a, a child, a teenager or um, whoever who's um, has a healthy kidney and basically steal their kidney, drug them, um, kill them or whatever they need to do to get that kidney. And they will sell that kidney to an enormous profit to this person that is looking for a kidney. And so that what happens. Is, what do the profits look like? What is like? How much can you sell a kidney for? Um, you know, I'm not sure what the exact uh, like what the profits would look like. Um, I can tell you that they really. What I can tell you is that they, it, they when someone is desperate, they will pay um, whatever cost. Um, I've heard of people paying up to a hundred thousand dollars for a kidney. Um, wow. There was a case, um, and we weren't involved in this case. This was just uh, from one of our partners in Haiti who had, um, whose, um, son was a victim of organ harvesting and they, tr- they traced, you know, they traced the, the exchanges of money and it led back to, um, an American who paid, um, a Haitian man to, to kill his wife essentially and to take her heart. Um, and he ended up selling his wife's heart for around a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. So there's, there's that. So there's, um, sex trafficking, labor trafficking, um, there's the organ harvesting, um, the child soldiers. That's another form of human trafficking. Is especially like in some of these these uh, these civil wars going on in Africa and a little bit like in Colombia, where these militia groups will take kids and basically force them to become soldiers. Um, wow. the, yeah, there's there's that, and uh, yeah, people. It's just people can always uh, there's there's always so many different ways to exploit another human being. Um, you told me one that really shocked me. Yeah. It, it was, uh, I think you said sacrifice. Oh yeah. Child sacrifice. Yeah. So it's, um, it's funny. We actually have, um, I'll, I'll, uh, it's not funny. Sorry. I shouldn't have said it. It's funny. That, <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny cause, um, the, there's a survivor of child sacrifice. It's, it's, it's funny cause he's, he's been, uh, he's been, he's a great kid and he's been, very on the top of our minds in 2020. And I can, I can kind of share his story. I'll share his story 
I didn't mean to say the word funny. Funny is more like it's it's ironic that like you bring up child sacrifice. <laughs> I get it. No, no, I totally get it. So there you go. But he so this little boy, we'll call him uh, he, on our social media. If anybody wants to check it out on social media, his name is Andrew, and he he was a victim of child sacrifice. Um, so um, in the country of Uganda, um, there is um, sort of a, an old tradition where um, if, if they want economic prosperity, they need to contract a witch doctor. Um, and the witch doctor can perform different rituals to make uh, make someone's land or make someone's business uh, uh, prosperous. And so they, they take a kid, uh, the, the people, they'll contract for the services of this, these witch doctors. And these witch doctors will kidnap a kid um, and they will um, they'll slit the back of their neck, they'll drain their blood, or they'll cut off their genitals and bury them uh, underneath the soil in hopes that the, the person that contracted them can have economic prosperity. Um, and so Andrew, the little boy I'm talking about, he was a victim of child sacrifice. He was just playing one day um, in his yard. He was taken by this witch doctor and this witch doctor cut the back of his neck um, and started to drain his blood with the attempt to kill him. And these, these guys are awful. Like they'll drain the blood. And then when the child is dead, they'll feed their bodies to like snakes. Like it's just terrible. So this little boy, he, he survived. He survived, um, but he was, he was very traumatized by the experience. He didn't speak for about two years after the experience. He was placed in an aftercare home in Uganda for survivors of child sacrifice. And he, he the effect, the, the witch doctor cut into his spine. And so the, the little boy lost the use of um, his left leg and then his left arm. Um, so it, and he, you know, he had, he had some great physical therapists in Uganda. He was able to, um, he was able to walk, um, somewhat, uh, it was painful for him, but he was able to walk. He was able to play a little bit, but he still couldn't, he didn't have a lot of use in his legs or his, or, or his hand, um, because of the trauma that was inflicted on him by this witch doctor. And I, I don't believe they ever caught his witch doctor, by the way. Um, so, um, so and you know, you know Jessica. She was in Costa Rica with me. Jessica, her heart is like her heart bleeds Uganda. She's she loves that country. Um, she she spent a lot a lot a lot of time there, and so she they they hooked up. Um, her and the whole the whole the owner of the aftercare home, they connected. They started to work together, and with. With our with OUR, like we have a great pool of volunteers that have like all these like special skills, um, and not like the like the taken special skills where it's like this unique set of skills. It's like special skills. But you guys have those too. Let's we we let's have a not, few of those too. We have a few of those too. Yeah, let's not get it twisted. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> but this special skill we are looking for is just a surgeon that could potentially take a look at Andrew's medical records and see if there's anything that he could do to help him regain his uh, mobility in his legs and and his left hand. And so uh, we put out the feelers and we, and we got, we got a bite from this guy who he lives in a, in a nearby city here in, in Utah and he, he's a doctor and he'd done some work for us in the past. And so he brings Andrew down, takes a look at him um, and connects him with a hospital here in Utah who's able to do that surgery pro bono, totally for free um, with the surgery where, you know, best case scenario he'll be able to regain use of his legs and his arm. So we, we bring the survivor of child sacrifice to Salt Lake City, um, where the OUR offices are located. And he has surgery here. He has surgery. Um, 
And right around the time he had surgery, COVID-19 hits. So he's, he's here until, until further notice. Um, but because he's here, he can work with some amazing physical therapists. He can continue to see those same surgeons who perform surgery on him. And um, as of last week, or maybe two weeks ago, I think it was last week. So in, in Southern Utah, um, you know, Rome, I, th- I know you've done some time up in Southern Utah. We have some great national parks. And Bro, I'm going to Fish Lake National Forest uh, tomorrow. Dude, there you go. Yeah, exactly. So you, you've, you spent some time in, uh, in these national parks and, and they, the family that currently is um, housing little Andrew took him hiking for the first time and he was able to climb. He was able to hike like a normal kid because of, yeah, because of the surgery, the surgery, because of the doctors and because of the amazing physical therapists, like that he's able to, and because of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because of us, because of the connections that we have and just our, we're big, we're big on to, into the, uh, the mindset of once a survivor crosses our path, that they're family for life and each survivor is a little bit different. And so like in Andrew's case, you know, he needed surgery and he needed physical therapy. And so that's what we hooked him up with. And yeah, man, now he's, he's hiking Zion's national park. He's, he hikes better than I do, man. I love it. I'd love to meet him, bro. If he's still going to be down here, I'm like, bro, I'm like two hours away from you, dude, drive up, man. And we'll, we'll take you guys to dinner. We'll take you both. All right. Well, there's no us guys. It's just me. Well, you, you come up. We'll take <laughs> you and Andrew, me and Jess. We'll go grab. Let's do it. Take it to our office. We'll get a CrossFit workout. And we have a CrossFit gym here. And, and we'll, I love it. Yeah, do you guys dude. have mats, bro? I can teach some jujitsu. Dude, we do, man. We, we have some mats and you could, you could provide some jujitsu training for all of our operators, man. Let's do it. I'm right. down. Sweet. Let's do it. Let's do it. Deal. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all right. So. Fuck, bro. That was a lot. That was really good. Like, let's backtrack on you a little bit. What, like, when did you know? Like, when was your moment that you knew you're like, I want to do this. Like, this is what I want to do. And this is, this is how I want to do it. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, man, that's a good question. Um, well, it, it, ah, man, that's such a good question. It was probably when I was about 20, 20 years old. You know, growing up, you know, my parents were amazing. I lived in a great community, but I, I just wasn't a super nice kid. I was kind of selfish. I was very into myself and just not super friendly. And, and so when I, li- when I lived in the Dominican Republic, I, would, I just saw so much poverty and so much need. And, and, um, and I, was, I was just like, wow, like if this is like there has to be someone that like they're like we have to help like these people and it really just opened up like my heart to just like being compassionate toward other people i didn't quite know like that my like what i wanted to do with like that compassion but i knew i wanted to do something and so when, when human trafficking was on my radar and i when i learned that all the different types of human trafficking that there was you know in latin america places so close to my heart uh, whether it be sex tourism in a place like dominican republic or colombia or like the the narcos or the gangs in, in Guatemala and in Honduras, or or just like the familiar trafficking in a place like Costa Rica, bro. Um, like it, it just touched my heart. I just remembered that um, I was always like very passionate about it. You know, I was like, oh man, we gotta do something. We gotta do something. We have to. Someone has to fix this problem. And you know, the older I get, like the 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 more. I mean, passion is great, but I really believe that human intention is the biggest is the most wasted resource on this earth. 
like and how many and I can I can even point to myself like how many times have you been like in like in a church service or in a motivational speakers conference or um, listening to a guy that started a nonprofit or whatever and just been like oh my gosh like I'm so inspired I want to do something right now and then you know 40 minutes later like after the thing ends I completely forget about what I was so passionate and inspired about like 20 minutes before that um, and so I, it was my time in the Dominican Republic really where talking with those girls who were being sexually exploited and raped and, and violated in such awful ways that I just, I, I almost like found my purpose where it was like, I, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life. And if I'm not doing this, um, then I'm not, I'm not being my true self. I'm not fulfilling what I feel like God put me on this earth to do. And I would just feel so guilty. Like I just, if I wasn't actively working to try to protect these kids from, from traffickers, from pedophiles, from exploitation, these, these kids, these women, then I just, I wouldn't be fulfilling my true self. And so, um, I've really moved away from, from the word passion. It's so funny how like different words come into your life. And, um, it, it like, this is my purpose. Like that, I feel like this is where I was put on this earth to, do and it it comes up man like every single day like i have that feeling where i'm just like like i meet this person i hear their story and i work on getting them different resources getting them different kinds of help and making that connection with them but i have that same feeling every single day where i'm like this is why i was put on this earth two days ago was i I talked with a girl who's 11 years old and she was trafficked at a swimming pool um, she would be forced to go into the bathrooms and give oral sex to men at swimming pools. And she was trafficked to the swimming pool because pe- parents are already so concerned about their own kid drowning that they're, they're not paying attention to to the girl who's going in and out of the bathroom with different people. It happened yesterday when I was talking with a girl who was trafficked to 17 years old and she was exploited by this reggaeton manager who he would go down to these countries. He was like, he, he works music videos and he would exploit these girls' vulnerability and wanting to help them get famous or wanting to be famous. He was, I can, he promised them fame, promised them, promised them fortune with the caveat of they had to perform sexual services and he would film them. And if he didn't, if they didn't comply, he would drug them, rape them, and then upload their videos to, to different porn sites. Um, and like that moment of just like hearing those stories, having your heart broken day in and day out, um, it serves as like my motivation and it reinforces like the purpose of why I was put on this earth. And, and I can't imagine doing anything else. Wow. I love it. Dude, you want to hear a crazy story? You want to hear a crazy story? Yeah. All right. So this, this is so, this is so, this is so crazy. So this just happened, man, when you were taking your leak break. So there's this girl I've been working with for like the past like year. She's a refugee from El Salvador. She was, um, she was, um, escaping the gang violence in, in San Salvador, found a coyote, was brought to, to Guatemala, and she was exploited the whole way. Um, she didn't have any money, and so traffickers, smugglers, coyotes made her pay with her body. What did you say, coyotes? Yeah, coyotes. What's a coyote? A coyote is like someone that you pay to smuggle you from like one country to another. Wow. Yeah. And okay. so, so, she, so she's in an aftercare home um, like a year ago. And she's kind of going back and forth. She, she, she gets pregnant. She, she's kind of having like back and forth of like if she wants to have the baby because she, she doesn't know whose baby it is because she was exploited so much. Decides to have the baby. Um, and so she has the baby. And at the hospital, the, the doctor made like a medical mistake, gave him the wrong medicine. 
And on her way back from the hospital, the baby died in her arms. And so she's like, she was just heartbroken. And so she, she turns 18. She is, um, she gets married. Um, another, she gets married to like this 19 year old guy, good kid. She is expecting, she, she's, she gets pregnant. Um, her, her pregnancy has been crazy. She had like a hematoma on the baby. Um, she started a business like while she was that we helped her start cause she's, she's a great cook, knows how to cook all the good El Salvador food. Um, we helped her start a business and she, she was, and, and she's doing all this while she's pregnant with like a very high risk pregnancy. And she, so she, this like this week has been crazy. She's been having like super, she's been having a lot of pains, very worried about COVID-19 in the hospitals. Um, she may have needed a drug, blood transfusion when she gives birth. And I got a message this morning that was like, I think the baby's going to come today. It's, it's feeling like it's going to come today. And while you're taking your leak break, uh, I just got a message from her, from her husband that said, uh, baby just came and mom and baby are doing great. Fuck yeah, bro. See, I'm connected to the universal, bro. I was releasing. She was releasing. <laughs> Dude, you're so warm. I got to talk to you more often, man. Good thing happens every time. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So let's let's move a little bit to a different direction. Okay. What's the book that you give out the most? The book that I give out the most is called The Promise of a Pencil by Adam Braun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that the pencils for Pencils of Promise nonprofit guy? Yeah. Yep, that's him. Nice. You know him? Uh, I just know of the nonprofit. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know him, but I definitely know of the nonprofit. Yeah, man, I love that book. It's um his story reminds me a lot of my own story because of like his like his experiences with the developing world, the connection that he makes with people. Um him and I are very similar travelers to where we don't travel to see we we travel to seek and um and he's funny because he he mentioned something in his book it just hit me right to the core of like i would much rather go to a place i've already been 40 times than to go somewhere new because like the people that like that that's what i am always drawn back to is the people um, going back and seeing the people the people is always the biggest tourist attraction that any country can ever have and his principles that he has, like his story reminded me a lot of my own. I dropped out of grad school. He dropped out of grad school to pursue a social justice venture. Um, he he, li- he lists 30 mantras to live by, which I think are just amazing. Like there's, there's things like embracing the lightning moments where these moments of inspiration, you just, you just act on. You remember um, that you make when you have like a big decision that you have to make, make the big decisions with your heart, make the small ones with your head. Um Things like fessing up to your own failures. Um, I think that's something that none of us like to do is fess up to our own failures. And and he's just, I, I think those mantras are amazing. I think his story is so inspiring to every single person who's looking to like make their impact in the world and to find their purpose. And so that's probably the book that I give out the most, my man. Pencils of a Promise by Adam Braun. I love it. I'm definitely going to check it out. What's your favorite food, bro? Oh, man, this is a good question. Dude, I love, um, I love pepperoni. I mean, you don't, you don't get to be your size without loving food. Dude, so I, <laughs> the people can't see you, but you are built like a gorilla. <laughs> oh, 
that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I, mean, that's, I think that's the first thing you said to me, dude, when you met me is I remember we were at the Airbnb and you were just like, man, you're built like a gorilla. That's the first thing you said. Oh, you said. Bro, I'm a jujitsu guy. Like I'm just consistently looking at human beings and seeing how I might imagine they would perform on the mats. Oh, uh, dude. That's like a good My mind too. is constantly like scanning. You remember, uh, how was that guy's, the, the schnitzel, the, the guy from Switzerland, you remember him? Oh yeah, Johnny. Yeah, I remember because I went to your jujitsu class, and you know I'm a big guy. I know I'm a big guy. I'm like, oh man, I'm really gonna kick some ass today, dude. I got my ass handed to me by those guys. Like those guys. I remember one point that they they had choked me out so hard I was starting to see stars, and the guy was like, "You probably should tap." Like I've got you, and then I could not like reach the mat like for my life. <laughs> like he like he was just kicking. It was a it's a good like test of humility for me of like, oh these guys are. I know these guys are trained, but I, I'm I'm physically strong, dude. It it did not matter, it did not matter. And I, even worse, after watching Jason's daughters just destroy people who were twice their size, I was like, man, jujitsu is a different animal. Like it doesn't matter how big or strong you are, if you know jujitsu, you you have the upper hand. Bro, it's simulated murder, dude. It is. Oh, that was such a that was such a fun <laughs> man. But anyway, my favorite pizza or my pizza, <laughs> my favorite food is probably pizza, my man. Um, I love, I love it. pepperoni pizza. I don't eat it super often. I what I eat every day is you know brown rice, broccoli, ton of chicken, which is fine. But I don't. But man, like a good like a Domino's pepperoni pizza or like a nice bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's or a nice like chicken Alfredo pasta from Pizza Hut or any kind of breakfast burrito. That's my favorite food, man. I love. I love it. Yeah, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um. I mean, this this is more of like a reverse proposal. So when I come down there and I meet Andrew and I teach some jujitsu, instead of you guys taking me out, maybe I can make you guys like a gluten-free organic pizza from scratch. Oh, dude, that would be awesome. It would be, yeah, it would be truly my joy and pleasure, bro. Okay, let's plan on it, dude. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Let's let's do it. We we have a kitchen in our office that you could you could cook it in our office. Perfect. I'll bring I'll bring some of my stuff. It's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. Do you guys have an oven? Oh yeah, dude. We have an oven. We have an oh, oven. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna crush it. All right. Next favorite movies. Oh, dude. I'm so glad you asked me this question because I am so passionate about this question. My favorite Logan and, and the Logan. My favorite movie and the best movie of all time is Logan. The last, in, the last in the X Men series. Um, there's no. If I ever need a good cry, I will watch Logan. Logan is such a good human story of just a, a man who's just been through so much, just a life full of violence, and not wanting to pass on that life to his daughter. Um, the little girl in that movie reminds me so much of so many little girls that I work with across the world who are angry, who are mad, who are distrusting who have been created, who have been used, who have been exploited for the evil desires of adults. In the movie, she's 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 created to be a weapon. Like she's meant to be like an assassin to hurt people. But her characteristics are very similar to a lot of trafficking survivors that I meet um, in the movie. Uh, her name is Laura Kinney. And at the end, that end scene... I don't know if we're going to spoil the movie or anything, but like that end scene, the last... No, I've seen it. It's great. Okay. The last 10 minutes of like that movie where, where Logan defends her, they fight together. He passes away. She calls him, she calls him daddy. And then they bury, they bury him. She quotes that, that famous John Wayne movie of, uh, 
there's no running from the killing. Got to make the, make the gen- next generation better. When she turns the X over, it's just beautiful. And then there's there's two quotes that I have on my wrist all the time. They're they're from that movie. Um, one of them is um, Logan's last words to his daughter was, uh, "Don't be what they made you." And that's a message that I that I would hope that all of the survivors that I work with feel and understand as well is to not be what what these traffickers made you to be. And then the last one is um, it's a it's it, there's a scene where Logan, Professor X, and his daughter are driving, and like these horses get out on the highway, and there's this family who's trying to collect these horses, and and they're kind of on the run from these bad guys, and Logan's like, we got to get out of here. Um, and Professor X is he's saying of, you know, uh, we have to help these people. And Logan's like, no, like someone will come along. Um, someone will come along. They'll get it figured out. And Professor X very, you know, very stubbornly, he says, someone has come along. Like it's us. Like we're here. Um, and I, w- and that line is so powerful because then they get out, they help and they have this beautiful relationship with this, with this family. Um, and it, it, it's something that I take in, I, I wear on my wrist as well. Cause with the injustices that are happening in this world, not just like the trafficking, but the violence, the, the racism, the sexism, the, the religious bigotry or whatever. Um, you know, if we, if we wait for someone to come along to fix that, it, I don't think it will ever get done. But if we recognize it, like maybe we're here, we're feeling this compassion, this passion, this purpose for a reason, maybe we are the person that has come along. And so I wear that on my wrist just so I never forget of, you know, when, when never to ask, like someone will come along, like someone has come along and it's me. It's it's us. It's all you are. It's it's our supporters. It's our donors. It's us. We're here. Someone has come along, and it's our responsibility to to make this to serve these people and to make this world a better place. And that's why I love that movie. I just so many life lessons in it. So emotional. So moving. So grim. Um, it's it's very real. Of like this. It's not a it's happy. More, it's story. it's almost like a DC movie. It's that yeah. Dark. Yeah, it does not yeah. feel like a Marvel movie. There's no colors. There's no, and it's radar, which I I appreciate the made it radar because it's it's you can you can tell the story as it was supposed to be told when it's rated R. Yeah, a hundred percent. That quote actually reminds me of a different quote, uh, but very similar. You are the person you have been waiting for. Like there, the Calvary is not coming. Like this is it. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is it. Yeah, I love it. Who who said who who's the who said that quote? Ah, uh, I wish I knew, bro. I wish I knew. I'll ask the Google when we get off. I love it, man. Yeah, yeah. Calvary's not coming. You are the Calvary. That's awesome. Oh, that one. That one has just been like resonating in my fucking soul, bro. All right. Um, what what kind of car do you drive, bro? Actually, no. Don't even tell me, bro. What what was your first car that you've ever had? Oh man, the first car that I ever had um was a was a 99 Chevy Silverado. Mm. Yeah, and it was uh, it, it was sweet. It was um I wish I still had it honestly cuz it drove great. It was a truck. But man, if you have a truck like you get asked to get you 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 just get taken advantage of. People are like, "Can you help me move? Can you help me haul this?" Like, "Oh, I'm so I, I miss the truck. But I'm also glad I don't have it anymore." You're you're so nice, bro. I literally like the, one of the first things that I trained for myself was learning how to say no as a full sentence. 
<laughs> Dude, I'm actually gonna write that down. I need I need to do that more. I need to say no as a full sentence because uh, when I had a truck, man, it was just yes all the time. And I'm the day that I got into my accident and that truck got totaled. I was sad to see it go, but at the same time, it was like, ah, oh, you finally get that Jeep I want now. Um, but that was my first truck, man. It was, it was a truck I bought from this this old lady that lived in my lived in my uh, lived in my hometown. Went to the same church as my dad. And she bought this truck way back when and then just let it sit in her storage shed for years. And so I bought it. It, it was had something like 10,000 miles on it or like just nothing. I love it. And so, uh, yeah, but my current ride is, is pretty sweet. I had my I had a Jeep this last year that just totally, like when the weekend that COVID really took effect in the world, it, it just totally went out on me. And so my current ride is a 2019 um, uh, Jeep Cherokee. Nice. Those are nice, bro. I, I, my uncle has one. I sat inside. It was like a Japanese car inside, bro. Dude, Nothing is. like they used to make them in the nineties. Yeah, and it, it goes. Remember when they used to flip? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally. That was like a thing that used to happen. Oh it was my just like, gosh. You guys don't want to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> but like they didn't really have any competition they thought that because people buy american cars they'll always buy american cars nah <laughs> like, we'll just let it like if your car flips over or explodes i'm probably gonna buy a different car yeah my car hasn't flipped yet which is good and it goes it goes no i mean now they make them better yeah. like bro they're the, my uncle's car he has a jeep grand cherokee his fuel economy is better than my toyota they got the memo it took a long time, but they got the fucking memo. Oh my! Thank goodness, man. I, w- I wouldn't want my car to flip. It might yeah. go, mine goes too fast, though, man. Honestly, like, and it's a bad thing because I'll be driving, you know, just out for a hike or a drive. I love to hike. I love to drive. I love to hike, and I'll just be cruising along and just listen to the radio or listen to a good podcast, your podcast. And um, yeah, I can't wait for more episodes to get pumped out, my man. But then I look down at my speedometer. I'm going like 95 miles an hour. I'm like, oh my gosh! I didn't realize I was going that fast. Have to slow down, but yeah, it's, it's 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 a nice ride, man. It's it's a nice car, and uh, yeah, has great speakers. And yeah, just love it. Have you ever driven a Tesla? No, bro. Worth it. <laughs> we 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 rented one last year. We rented a Tesla X. I I don't really like cars. Like I'm not like a car guy. Like I, I had a roommate. He's one of my best friends. I, I, he wasn't really my roommate. I just lived in one of his apartments. So he was technically my roommate, but, but he had like all these like fancy cars and he was really into it. And I thought I would be really into it, but I realized like I wasn't, but then I fucking rented a Tesla, bro. It was the coolest thing I've ever driven. It was, it's probably like the same jump from horse and carriage to model T is the same as like regular gas powered car to a Tesla. Jeez. Exponential. Like it's not even, oh, you don't have to pay for gas and it drives faster and it lasts longer and it has nothing that you need to do. And, and it's like driving a spaceship. I was like, sign me up. Dude, we're like, that's going to be my next car. I'm going to get a fucking Tesla. We're like 10 years from having our cars being able to fly, man. I'm convinced. Just like, for sure. Just like, I need need to fly to to Salt Lake to Vegas. Like just hop in my Jeep Cherokee, my 2027 Jeep Cherokee. And let's just fly there. For sure. For a hundred percent, bro. A hundred percent. But I mean, I mean, we're all going to electric sooner or later. So yeah, just the Americans take later than sooner for the most part. 
outside of Tesla. <laughs> it's just like the addiction to like bigger, 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 right? Like our country is very bigger and more. Yep. Those are like the two words that the U.S. has. But the reality is freedom doesn't come from bigger or more. It comes from better. Yep. I agree. More isn't better. Bigger isn't better. Better is better. better. Like there's a reason why there's a fucking word for it. Yep. All right. So what are some of your favorite hikes in Utah? I mean, this is, I guess, a selfish question, but but the user, I mean, the, the listeners can definitely enjoy it as well. What are some of your favorite hikes in in Utah or wherever? Like, where are some of your favorite hikes? And even more so, where are your favorite camping spots? Do you go camping or just hiking? Dude, I, I go, I just go hiking, man. Camping, I don't love to camp. I've never, you know, I, I grew up in a, uh, with a family that made me go to like a lot of Boy Scout stuff. You know, you know, Boy Scouts are great. Don't want to like give them a bad credit or anything on the podcast, but they used to make me sleep in an igloo, dude. They used to make us like, bro, they got a lot of problems right now. They do. The Boy Scouts. Yeah. And um, one of my biggest beasts was them was making me sleep in an igloo when I was 12 years old. They would, they would make us, they would take us to the woods, make us pile a bunch of snow and make this big snow mountain. Then we'd come back in like a month and like, like uh, dig the snow out of the igloo. So we had a place to sleep and they used to make us sleep in there. And so that experience just, it just ruined camping for me, dude. I, I was so cold all the time. I, I was always had like some kind of ice, like jabbing in my side. And, and I just, I hated, I hated it so much. And so it really ruined camping for me to where I don't camp that often. Now I usually just do day hikes. Um, if there's, if there's like a, if there's a, like a hike that it's recommended to like do in two days, like I'll just like wake up at midnight and do it all like in one day. I just, I will not camp. I'm just stubborn. Um, but camping, dude, hiking, the best hiking spots, man, if you, I think the best hiking spots on this earth, honestly, are in Grand Teton National Park, Wyoming. You know, I've traveled all over the world. I've, I've hiked in a lot of different countries and I just, nothing beats Grand Teton National Park, man. Like that water, the blue water, those high peaks, those canyons, the wind, the bears, the wolves, the buffaloes, just everything. And, and like they have so many of like these big massive lakes that you can hike to that are pretty popular. But then you have like these lakes that are more like an adventure to get to where you climb over rock fields where you um, have to kind of like, you have to print out directions and like keep them in your pocket so you don't get lost. Just like this untouched wilderness, man. And it's just Wyoming. If you know, it's awesome. And you know, Grand I'm going good. You should, you should go, you should go hike. You should go, paddleboard do whatever you need to do whatever you like to do go camp if you're a big camper but man there's, it, there's i'm not a big camper but i'm trying bro i grew up in brooklyn like we didn't have fucking camping oh, yeah, bro. you can't camp in brooklyn <laughs> but 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 with that said when you were just telling the igloo story when we were like 13 14 and we used to get crazy snowstorms in new york city yeah there was a parking lot on Avenue U and Nostrand, for those of you from Brooklyn listening to this, and it was the bank parking lot, and we would go in that parking lot with shovels, because like we would make money shoveling, and then getting into fights and spend it on dumb shit, but <laughs> we, would, we would make igloos and fucking hotbox them. We, we would just get so baked inside of the igloos because, like, we'd be working hard days labor all day, you know? Like, it was a snow day, snow school. So we would go shoveling people's yards, you know? It gave us, like, 60, 70 bucks for, like, three of us. And then we would just buy a fucking 20 bag and we would get baked in an igloo. <laughs> 
Dude. Oh, man. Now, if I would have had an experience like that, I don't know if I would hate igloos so bad, man, because I have a hate Yeah, you, you would have loved igloos. Yeah, I have a hate <laughs> like, you're telling me your igloo experience, and I was like, that sounds awesome. I might go join the Boy Scouts right now. Dude, well, I could get that. After the Wyoming, go down there. You'll find a couple of people in the winter digging their igloos, going camping. Just be like, "Hey, let me make your let me let me let me improve your igloo experience." For sure. But you should, man. You should. I'm glad you go up to Grand Teton, man. Like that place is just something so like magical about that place. Every time I leave there, I just feel like I'm a better human being for having been there. So, man, you should. Wow. Just, it's just the peaks, the valleys, the noise, the lack of noise, the lakes, everything, man. Bro, I, I really love Colorado. My my good friend lives in Colorado. And then I went to Montana two months ago and I was like, oh my God, Montana's like fucking Colorado on steroids. Yeah. And from what I read, Wyoming is, is Montana on steroids. Yeah, it feels that way, man. It's 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 just so and there's so many cool places to go in Wyoming and the Wind Rivers are amazing, the snowy range, Yellowstone's right next to Grand Teton. I prefer Grand Teton over Yellowstone because Yellowstone has a little more people and a little less mountains. Um, so I prefer Grand Teton. Even my hometown, man, Star Valley, Wyoming is like this untouched treasure of nature and beauty. And, and, uh, yeah, if you're one like a, if you want a, a real like rural Wyoming experience, man, let me take you to my hometown. We'll get you a steak. We'll get you, a, we'll get you a steak in the morning. We'll go hiking, come back. We'll get you. A, some some can fresh- I get can I get like a venison steak? No, oh, you can get whatever you want, man. It's it's Wyoming. They they cook the steak how you want. Wow, I love it. Yeah. Cause I'm not I don't even if I'm out there, bro, I'm trying to eat like an elk. Yeah, they, they probably or have like a bear. <laughs> I do I they they definitely will sell you elk, man, man. There's elk jerky season. Oh, that's coming up when all the it's great. Like in uh where I'm from, it's a very uh religious community, very tight kit tight knit community where everybody's the same religion. And so they, when everyone goes hunting and they kill their elk, they all smoke their jerky and they all share their jerky with other people to kind of like compare like whose jerky is better. And for me, like, I don't care whose jerky is better. I just know that in my freezer. It's like high school locker room. Yeah. Yeah. In my, in like in your freezer, instead of like, you, you have like a hundred pounds of jerky from different people in your community and you don't care what tastes better, which one tastes better. You just know that you have like a ton of jerky for the next year. And, I uh, love it, bro. I want to learn how to hunt too. That's my next. That's one of my next things. I'm gonna start hunting. Dude, we gotta get you on a hunting camp, man. I know my best friend growing up. He's a what do they call it? A hunting guide in Wyoming. Where they? So I have a my best friend from growing up. He is a hunting guide in Wyoming. So he takes people that have never been hunting that want to learn how to hunt, takes them up in the woods and they hunt. Sold. All right, man. I'll put you in touch, man. He's he's the best. I love it. Does he do like bow hunting? Does it all, man? Bow, gun, or just like straight up? I think he does trapping too, like with like beavers. Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> I like beavers, bro. <laughs> yeah, I don't even. I don't even know how you would like trap a beaver. I'm like, well, would you just like stick a net like in their dam, and then you like. He's like, no, that's stupid. And so I don't even, like. He, I get the world. I don't quite understand, but he he loves it and he does it professionally. So, dude, if you ever want to, if I want a hunting guy, I know a guy. I know a guy. That's white people stuff, bro. I love it. Like, like, like that's like some like rural white dude stuff, like trapping beavers, bro. Yeah. I love it. Like, like you, you don't hear anybody, you don't hear any immigrants in like Brooklyn, like, you know what? I'm going to go beaver trapping this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. 
Well, dude, well, could you hooked up, man? If you want to go trap a beaver or shoot an elk or whatever, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get you in touch. His name is his name's Tyson. We called him Teabag in college um, or oh, high school. I love it. Yeah, and he's he's the best. We uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely down. I'm I'm a hundred and fifty thousand percent down. That's really close to being next on my list. What kind of housing do you live in? Do you live in an apartment, a condo, a house? Do you live in a tent? <laughs> I live in a I rent the basement of of a couple here in Salt Lake City. So they have they have their house and they have like this basement that goes unused and I rent their basement. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, they give me a good deal. They're they're never really there. And yeah, it's nice. It's basement, so it's cool during the summer and and yeah, it's it's a good it's a good spot for where I'm at in my life. I love it. Yeah, no, I've just been thinking a lot about like alternative housing stuff. So all my guests, I'm going to be asking them where they live. Who knows, right? Like some people might live in a school bus. Yeah. So that's just the reality of today. Things are changing. You know what? The question is being asked, like, why do I live in this house that I don't use or enjoy? Why don't I live in a tent or a yurt or, you know, like there's so many questions. Like people are definitely building some really cool stuff out there. Yeah, man, my, my buddy, he's super into like these tiny houses. He's always like watching yes, YouTube videos. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do right yeah, now, bro. That's like awesome. my next thing. Dude, let me know how it works. I've been thinking about it too. It's just, he, he was, he's super passionate about it. And anyway, he was talking to me about it. I was like, oh yeah, that sounds whatever. But then he puts it on like the TV and it's like, like the first video he made me watch about this tiny house. I was like, ah, it seems like, seems a little weird. Second video was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Third video, I'm all in. I'm like, okay, how do I buy one of these things? Yeah, dude, I'm, bro, yeah. you can get them for like 40 grand, then you're mortgage free and you can tow it around. You could pretty much live wherever the hell you want. If you own land even better, or you can rent like a piece of land from somebody that already owns it and has like a little community of tiny houses. And it's like, if you don't like your community, you can just get up and leave. <laughs> you know, I'm just taking my tiny house elsewhere. Fuck you. Dude, let me know how that works. Cause I like, if you get, end up getting one and you love it. Let me know. Oh, you'll come stay with me. Okay. And you'll, you'll see, you'll fucking, you'll experience it. I have like a vision, bro. I have like a dream for what I'm looking to create. Honestly, I'm just letting God take over right now. And I'm just following what really brings me fucking joy. But that's on the horizon, bro. Yeah. Like I'm, I live in a 2,600 square foot house right now in Vegas. Mm Mm-hmm. And in New York, it was probably like 600 square feet in Costa Rica is like 1400 square feet. All of those were way too much space. Like I wasn't using that space. It didn't make sense, but I was paying for heat. I was paying for cooling. I was paying for the house and it didn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, cause every dollar that you spend, no matter how much you make is still a piece of your life. And then it was just, and every minute that you spend doing something that, I don't know, I, there's other things that I would rather be doing than cleaning. Yeah. So, yeah, bro, I've been really, really, really digging deep, pricing stuff out, talking to builders. And yeah, at some point, going to pull that trigger. You can pull your tiny house, tiny house right to Salt Lake City or move it on to Wyoming. And, and it's a cool thing about tiny houses. Wherever you want, you can bring your house yeah. with you. We can stop trafficking in tiny houses, bro. Yeah, love it. Dude. <laughs> we could be like we, we could be like transformers and make one huge house. <laughs> yeah, and I bet it's nice too because that makes it harder for traffickers to find out like your address, quote unquote, because you don't have one. 
You're mobile. Yeah. If you if find your address, you just bro. move to a different tiny, tiny house parking lot or whatever. Much So much they, they look for you guys sometimes? Uh, we've had some incidences where, like, I, I had one. It hasn't happened for a bit. But we've had one. I had one. When was it? This would have been, like, five years ago or something when I was in grad school. I had a guy that reached out that was trafficking one of the girls that I worked with in Dominican Republic reached out to me on Facebook. He's on my Facebook and you know, on Facebook you have your last name, you have pictures of, of your family. And he, you know, he threatened me. He was like, I know where you live. I know all this. And that freaked me out. So I, I forwarded that information onto like the, the police that I worked with in Santo Domingo, um, took all that information that, that people could find on my, uh, on my Facebook. So people, if they found me on Facebook, couldn't see who my sister was or, where my home address is. Um, and so, you know, you know, a lot of the people that we deal with are um, not super organized. Like it's like these opportunistic criminals, but you know, the more and more you work in this, like, you know, we just, ex- we do a lot of work, you know, in Central America and Central America, there's a lot of organized crime there with the 18th street or the MS 13 gang. Um, in Eastern Europe, we just we're doing a lot of work in Ukraine, starting to plant a lot of seeds in, in Eastern Europe, and you know the Russian mob, the Albanian mob, like those people are no jokes, and so we have to, you know, be be prepared to just take the precautions to keep ourselves safe. What kind of operators do you guys have working for OUR? Um, we have a lot of former and current law enforcement. Um, so we have. A lot of our team came from Homeland Security. Our founder is actually former Homeland Security. His name's Tim. We have a lot of uh, former law enforcement uh, that worked. We have some cops from Arkansas, some from Texas, a few from Utah. We've in the past. Oh no, we have we have a current guy. He's 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 current and former military. He's based out of Hawaii. He's a stud. He actually does a lot of our medical on on site, so he's always there. He's a great undercover investigator and he's also trained medically. So if something were to happen, if someone, you know, someone gets shot or someone steps on like a rusty nail, like, you know, two extremes, he, he's there to be able to provide medical care. So yeah, we have, we have kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting crew, man. I love it. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're starting to wind down a little bit and I got one more question for you and then we'll see where, where it takes us. Okay. If you knew that you were dying. What would be one piece of advice you would leave for the next generation? You can make it as long or as short as you want. Like what is the piece of advice that you would leave for the next generation? And that is a good question. If I was dying, first thing I would be, if I knew I was going to die, I'd be very, I would take one trip to every single country that I've been able to visit where I have a lot of strong connections. I'd say goodbye. That'd be the first thing I did when it comes to what I would say to the next generation. Honestly, man, the first thing that comes to my mind is that honestly, girls should be respected. That's the first thing I would say to anyone that's younger than me of like locker room talk like that shouldn't exist. The girl, your girls, girls are equal to men um, and they, and they should be respected because 99% of my day is dealing with the aftermath of what men have inflicted upon little girls. And so that that's one thing I would say. I would encourage take care of your mental health. Uh, I think that's big. It's just like whatever brings you peace, man, whether it be working out or going on drives or meditation or prayer or whatever, to take care of your mental health. 
I'd encourage people to donate to the OUR because if I'm not going to be here, OUR still will be and there's still work that needs to be done. I'd probably, I'd probably tell them, man, just, just cling to your people, man, and just to... Like, if I was going to die, like, I'm trying to think, like, the things that, that mean most to me. And, like, that Jeep, you know, doesn't mean much to me. Uh, my stocks don't mean much to me. It's, like, I'm trying to think of, like, the people that mean most. Of The 12-year-old that, that calls me from Guatemala every Friday to, to check in and see how I'm doing. Or the, the nun in Dominican Republic who, who helps me coordinate therapeutic services for, for girls who have been raped by American men or like my mom and my dad, my, my siblings, my friends. It's like these, these, the most valuable possession that I have is, is relationships. And my love language is, is, is time. So I, I feel loved when people spend time with me. And so I, I would encourage people just to recognize that like some of this stuff is like, you don't, you don't know when your Jeep's going to go out or when the stock market is going to crash or, when you get fired from a job, but the relationships that you build along the way to cultivate those and to, to invest in those because like when you're in my situation and let's put in the situation that I'm about to die, like the last, the, what I want to do is I want to go, you know, I want to travel these places where I've already been to say goodbye to the people I love. And I think that only comes because like, that's the most valuable possession that I have is those relationships with those people. And I'd want them to know that like, if this is the last time they're going to see me, that I love them, I care for them, that their influence in my life has made an effect on me to the point that I would spend every last dollar I had to come and see them. So that there was no doubt in my mind that when I was gone, that they were cared for by me when I was on this earth. For real, for real, last question. Okay. You know you're dying. You're dying and... You know that you only, you can only learn one last thing or do one last thing. What is the last thing that you learn or do or experience before you die? Like final meal, but it's not a meal. It's an experience. Huh. Probably one last trip to Central America with my parents. Wow. Yeah. Probably one last trip to, to Guatemala. It's my favorite country in the world. My dad, he, he served an LDS mission in Guatemala, so it's, it's very close to his heart. I feel very connected to my dad when I'm there. And I don't know if anybody on this earth loves me. In fact, I know. I know that nobody on this earth loves me as much as my mom and my dad do. And so to spend my last experience in my favorite place on earth with, my, with two people that just care about me more than anybody else, that would be a good way to go out. <laughs> I love it. I mean, no, no better ending to this podcast, but that specific statement. I love you, brother. I'm looking forward to having you on this again. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you in Salt Lake City. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, bro. I know the people that are listening are going to enjoy this. And guys, if you want to donate to a cause, if you're into donating to causes where the money actually goes to the cause and doesn't go into buying a jet plane for the owner or three or where the money is said to go somewhere, but it doesn't donate to operation underground railroad literally makes a difference in this universe. Their actions make a difference in this universe. So your money is going to go a long way. Yeah. If you have sins that you want to cleanse or whatever it is that you, you give money to, whatever it is that makes you feel better, send money to operation underground railroad. 
Thank you so much, Tyler. I appreciate you. I love you. And yeah, let's connect soon. Love you, man. Thanks again for having me. Later, bro. Thank you for listening to the Alchemy of Self podcast. If you resonate with our message, please show us some love by hitting the subscribe button and giving us a like. You can also visit our website at www.romza.com to continue your journey of self-discovery and keep up with our latest offerings. With love and harmony from all of us at the Alchemy of Self podcast.